0: Everyone and welcome to Debating Metal. I'm your host Kenneth Dean, the Dean of Metal, and along with my co-host Chris K, we discuss and dissect our favorite music, heavy metal. So sit back, relax, pop open a cold one, and let the debate begin. Welcome back, everybody, to Debating Metal. I'm Kenneth Dean, the Dean of Metal, along with my co-host, Chris Kay. We discuss and dissect the hard rock and heavy metal bands we all know and love.
1: Each week, we also discuss some bands and albums you may not know that you should definitely be listening to, as well as giving our big four on various bands, albums, musicians, etc.
0: And this week, it's episode 21, and we're taking a little detour from our head-to-head versus format with a concept called Odd Album Out. Chris, why don't you explain...
1: The bands we talk about each week have some truly stellar catalogs. Bands we talked about time and again have released classic album after classic album, but then suddenly a release drops that leaves you scratching your head. We're going to discuss these oddities and see if they have any merit.
0: That's right. We're going to determine whether these albums deserve a second listen, or if they should just remain a bad memory, or if we should just delete them from existence.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and some of them we should. And later in the episode, you wanted the best, you got the best, with this week's Big Four Megadeth songs. And we've got more rusty metal and freshly forged picks for you.
0: But before we get to that, let us review. Last week on our 20th episode, we went head-to-head with ACDC, Bon Scott versus Brian Johnson. And it was a good one. So if you missed last week's episode or any of the other ones, you can listen to us on all the major podcast platforms. And don't forget to rate us or leave a review, and we definitely want to hear your opinion on these extremely important matters. So send us an email to debatingmetal at gmail.com, or go to our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter pages and leave comments or messages and tell us what you think. Now Chris, tell them what our big four was last week.
1: Last week, along with our ACDC topic, we picked our big four ACDC songs. And with such an amazing catalog, it was a really tough one. Check out our list on Instagram and let us know what your big four ACDC songs are.
0: So now let's go back in time and pick out some rusty metal. So sticking with the 40th anniversary theme that we started with last week, this week my choice is Tigers of Pantang with their debut album Wildcat. came out in August of 1980. And they are a new wave of British heavy metal band uh, along the likes of Iron Maiden, Def Leppard, Diamond Head, and all the other bands that, that came out around that same time out of England. This album was their major label debut, so they were one of the earlier bands out of the uh, new wave of British heavy metal scene to get signed. They got signed to MCA Records, and they released this album, Wildcat. On the album, had some pretty cool songs. Um, Susie Smiled. Euthanasia and Don't Touch Me There. And Lars Ulrich from Metallica is a huge new wave of British heavy metal fan. And this is one of the albums that I know he likes and that I know he chose some songs from uh, to put on a uh, compilation. Anyone who's a Metallica fan out there who was a fan club member that picked up one of their earlier fan cans, I think it was either Fan Can 1 or Fan Can 2, they put out some demos of the Load albums. And on there, you can hear them playing uh, "Euthanasia,"s don't um, excuse me, "Tigers of Pantang's Euthanasia," and "Don't Touch Me." There, a little bit, uh, just kind of messing around in the studio. So it's pretty cool, pretty cool stuff. But check it out, give it a listen. Some nice rusty metal to, to take in.
1: I'll have to give it a listen because I've I've honestly never heard of them.
0: They, I mean, they weren't very they weren't awesome or anything like that. I mean, they released three albums in the '80s. And then they basically got dropped. They they didn't really go anywhere. They they weren't that strong, but um they reformed and they they've I think they still exist today. But you know obviously, you know there's that whole resurgence of all those '80s bands uh, from England that just decided to reform. And then, you know like Angel Witch is still around and Diamond Head is still doing stuff. And it's it's just weird, but at the same time they're just doing it for themselves really because the the record sales are not there.
1: Okay. Well, unfortunately, sometimes that happens. Like we we, we discovered, uh, and you discovered way before I did with uh, Saigon Kick. You know, right. a great band, really cool album. Just didn't get the coverage that uh, you know allowed them to be one of the top bands at the time.
0: Yeah, they were way ahead of their time, and just didn't didn't stay together long enough.
1: All right, so on with the uh, freshly forged. Uh, I've got a pick that. I kind of just found today, it was really cool, I, I listened to the whole album, a band called Butcher out of Belgium, they released a, a, an album called 666 Goats Carry My Chariot, <laughs> <laughs> and it is pretty freaking cool, it's, it's not the most clean recording, but that's kind of the charm of it, it's, it's, it's very raw, I would liken it to say, uh, uh, Merciful Fate, Judas Priest. I mean, there's elements of both of those bands in there, um, even some of like the black metal sound. I mean, it's it's pretty crazy, but I enjoyed the whole thing from beginning to end. I don't know much about this band. This is, again, the, like the first day I've even heard of them, but what it was a, it was a cool experience. So I'll have to read up more on the band themselves, but I really enjoyed the album, and I'm kind of looking forward to finding more out about this band
0: that's cool they sound like something i want to i want to check out as well so i will definitely be listening to that probably tomorrow morning on well actually no we're not we're off tomorrow (laughs) yay yes we're off tomorrow uh i'll probably be checking it out the next time i uh ride to work in the morning all right well that brings us to this week's topic which is odd album out so again chris why don't you go ahead and explain what that is and what we're going to be talking about today
1: so with all these bands that we love, there are always these this singular album or maybe a couple albums in their catalog where you're just going, what why did they do this what what whether it's a concept album or a change in direction, maybe the a, a singer change, a guitarist change something that that really affects the sound of the band. you you know you get this build because you love this band and they release something and you're going what the heck and then a lot of times these bands will get back on track with uh you know the members returning or just returning to their their classic sound or something like that so we've picked one album that we feel like just really is the sore thumb of the catalog whether it's a good or bad album and we're going to talk about the merits of these albums whether they have any or not
0: excellent so with that said, we've picked out a few albums. We, we, we threw a bunch of albums and band names into a hat, and we picked out the ones we figured would be the most relevant to talk about and that were really going to hit home on this topic. So I'm going to start off with talking about Motley Crue's self-titled 1994 album, Motley Crue, with John Karabi on vocals. I don't know what your opinion is. Well, kind of do know what your opinion is, but my opinion on this album, and I and I, I don't know. Maybe because you know, before I state what my opinion is, I just recently heard Chris Jericho on his podcast talk about how he thought this was a classic album, and I've heard that before from other people. Um, my my good friend Matt in Miami is a fan of this album, and I honestly have no idea. What these people are listening to For them to think that this album's worth a damn I, <laughs> I Completely think this is a Stinker of an album And it, it should just be deleted From the catalog, that's my opinion
1: I, I See, I find some amount of merit In, in that the recording Quality is very good John Krabi is a pretty Good singer, I mean he's not really My cup of tea But I really can't find fault in like he's he's not a bad singer. There's there's he, nothing
0: wrong at all with the musicianship. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with the vocals. There's nothing wrong with the production. I personally think and I don't even care about if you take the name Motley Crue off of it, it's still not a good album. It, the, the to me the songs are really really generic.
1: I think that's to me is the biggest problem. Is that as I listen to the whole thing it was a struggle because I tend to get bored pretty easily. And I like, you know, varied songs, even if they, they all fit in the same vein, like a Pantera album, the whole way through, it sounds like a cohesive album. My problem lies with this album is that I, there was nothing that really stuck out to me and stuck in my head and grabbed my attention. It was all just kind of the same all the way through.
0: Like Hooligans Holiday is, it's, it's not the strongest song. Well, in, in,
1: it sounds in, like a Motley Crue song more than the other right. songs. That one sounds
0: and, the most like a Motley Crue song. And I don't yeah. know if they if they purposely went out of their way to try not to sound like Motley Crue, even well, though... Well, that's how I
1: feel, for right. sure. It, in, does, it, it sounds like they're trying to be something different.
0: Right. And and that part of that also has to do with the, the changing of the times. This was 1994. You know, grunge was in full effect. You mm-hmm. know, and they had... I mean, they they took away... They fired their singer, Vince Neil, who had one of the more unique voices in glam metal, pop metal, whatever you want to call it, and brought in John Krabbe, who is more in line with that kind of grungy, raspy kind of vocals that they may, obviously, they were looking for. Yeah, Hooligans Holiday, you can sit there and say that's a Molly Cruz song, but that song doesn't even stand up to the rest of their catalog when you think about it.
1: No, 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 no. It, d- it definitely doesn't.
0: But that's one of the best songs on the album. You know, you listen to Power See, To... See, I
1: don't, I don't agree that it's one of the best songs of the album, because I really, I think there's other songs that I enjoyed more, because it didn't sound like somebody trying to be Motley Crue. It just sounded like this new band, and that's kind of my problem with the album as a whole, is that it doesn't feel like Motley Crue, and then they stuck the name motley Crue kind of arrogantly on there like hey even with Vin- without Vince, we're still motley Crue," and that's kind of the, uh, the vibe i get from the whole thing is like it, they're trying to almost prove to people that hey we're still motley crew and and it just sounds kind of shallow
0: and i agree you know and, and that's that's one of the reasons why i don't like it but at the same time even if you if they change the name on on the on the cover call it whatever you want call him uncle jack because that you know that's one of the names of the songs on the album the whatever the band is the four players in that band came up with an album that just doesn't stand the test of time in my opinion it doesn't hold up the song what i think people are are fooled by is the production because it is so good because it is a bob rock produced album tommy lee and sounds I definitely excellent i
1: feel that as i was going to say it feels like a Metallica album oh yeah
0: i mean bob rock produced it and it's clear as day you know because he he's the one who has produced the best tommy lee drum sound for motley Crue, and it sounds great and, and you know the the guitars sound great the album sounds awesome there's nothing i can't take that away from him but you know the songs are just not that good that there's not that many hooks on the album for the most part like three or four songs just plod along i mean they don't get any faster than hooligans holiday in some cases there's a few songs I mean there's one or two that are faster than that But as a whole the album just kind of plods along I, I well, don't I th- I think get
1: it I think that's one of the things That I don't like about it Is that it's a Bob Rock produced album Because Motley Crue had always had This kind of gritty dirty sound That this is just Almost too clean It just sounds like a, What's what's the term Like a a um, cookie cutter you know, this is a kind of a grungy rock band that you, you, it could be anybody. Yeah. It doesn't, I mean, it doesn't sound unique to me. It just sounds like this, the same old, same old that other bands were doing at the
0: time. But, and, but that's the testament to the songs. See, because, you know, Bob Rock produced, you know, uh, Dr. Feelgood and that album's awesome. So it's not a Bob Rock problem.
1: The no, al- I didn't mean specifically. I just right. mean that that the, the whole vibe of the album. There's nothing unique about it.
0: I don't know why it is that people think that this is such a good album. I, I don't. I don't get it. I mean, misunderstood is a. You know, the beginning is is a uh, a ballad. Kind of speeds up at the end, and, and the speed up doesn't really help the song. They they say misunderstood way too many times in, in, before it speeds up. It's not my thing. I hate for us to be considered bashers, but this is this episode is about bashing, <laughs> unfortunately. But I'm a fan of Motley Crue. I like all their other stuff. The, the rest of the catalog is is fine. Well, except maybe the, the more modern stuff. But, you know, their catalog is great. I mean, they've got classic albums. They're, they're that big for a reason. And the movie that came out last year, or was it this year? No, it was last year. The movie that came out last year proved that they are a, a, a still a relevant band. You know, and that's the whole reason why they threw out their contract because they were going to, you know, the the uh, what the, the no touring contract, they were over because they said, you know, this movie inspired them because they they picked up new fans that had never heard of them before, which I think that's a bit of a stretch honestly. But, you know what? They 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 threw out their contract they were going to tour. Bottom line is this album doesn't fit any of the catalog at all. This album is the odd album out
1: Oh for sure Alright yeah I completely agree It's uh it To me you know having followed All these these really stellar albums From that band Obviously this was a time period That they just couldn't coexist with Vince They had to do something different But I just feel like it's too different For my taste And also just nothing Stuck out to me that, that Made me excited to listen to it
0: Exactly. All right. So, what do you've got as your choice? One of your choices.
1: So I listen to probably for the second time today, Queensryche "Frequency Unknown." I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, me too. Um, <laughs> and, and I bring this one up because it's not really, truly a Queensryche album. No, it's if not. If you know, if uh, if you go through the history of the band you know that they had a pretty bad breakup with jeff tate no need to go into all of that but it was it was ugly and when it happened there was a lawsuit that ensued and jeff tate basically hired a band put together an album really quick to be almost almost like that that comment that used to appear on all the posts online first post first post (laughs) yeah um (laughs) That was kind of what it was was he just wanted to get an album out as quick as possible under the Queensryche name to keep the validity that he was still putting material out as Queensryche.
0: Yeah, and that it those, shows. yeah, those were my notes too. I wrote the same thing. I mean, basically it's it, this is Jeff Tate's public rebuke of uh, for getting fired from the band. Frequency and unknown. and if you look at the front cover, you know it's a fist with it with the Queensryche logo, uh, the 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 Tri Reich logo ring and fu on either side of uh the ring so you know it's definitely him trying to get back at the band get the first album out so that you know it can confuse the consumer which doesn't doesn't help either side in in all honesty
1: no it actually worked against him in that regard <laughs> and oh, yeah. i think it really upset a lot of the fan base it
0: did because it, it showed a bitter man who would stoop to any level just to get back at his former bandmates? The band themselves have taken the high road, and all they did was go out and constantly tour and release three albums that basically enhance the the name rather than detract from it. You know, you and I went to see him in January, and it was a great show. So
1: oh yeah, it was, it, it turned me into a fan. Exactly. So this album
0: would probably not have turned you into a fan at all. <laughs> no.
1: So th- my analysis while I'm listening to it, like the first track, I was okay with. I wasn't in love with it by any means. It, it's, it's the best it track passable. on the album. What
0: was that? It's the best track on the album.
1: Yeah. It, and they, they led off with the strongest track. Then the lyrics got really cheesy. Just not even fun to listen to. It, it, it was like a generic slog through the rest of the album, and, and it shocks me because you look at all the the musicians that appeared on the album. There's there's the main band, uh, which consists of, of uh, Jeff Tate, Kelly Gray, Rudy Sarzo, Robert Sarzo, Simon Wright, and Randy Gain. So you got you've got some pretty well-known musicians on there: Simon Wright, who played with ACDC. Rudy Sarzo, played with Ozzy and uh, Quiet Riot. So, I mean, you've got some some guys with some some back, you know, history behind them. And then you've got uh, Paul Bostoff appeared on a, on a few tracks. You've he got on uh, four tracks. On K.K. The album. Downing what was that
0: he appeared on four tracks on the album. Yeah. So, so he actually he played more than Simon Wright did. So yeah, he had a bunch of different people. Uh, yeah, KK Downing did a guitar solo, like you said.
1: Even Brad Gillis, who we've talked about before, he appeared on uh, Ozzy's album. The uh, the what was the one after? Um,
0: uh, he he uh, Brad Gillis appeared on um, Speak of the Devil.
1: Speak of the Devil. There you go. So I mean, you've got Chris Poland from Megadeth. Mm-hmm. So it, it's weird that. It, it, and it's not weird at the same time. You've got a lot of really stellar musicians, but they're all guest stars. They're not. They're not really sitting and and working together and having that brother. You know, they're not. They're not but, a band. They're not bandmates. Band. You know, I didn't want to use the word brother because you know, right. I want to. I want to be inclusive. <laughs> but <laughs> well, I mean,
0: there's no brotherhood as far as the band is concerned. So, you, yeah. so you're right on. You're on the right track with that concept. That thought. I mean, it was just a bunch of guys that slapped together. Now, mind you, all professional musicians. Don't get me wrong. Simon Wright and Rudy Sarzo were the last two bass and drum players, or drum and bass players, how you look at it, respectively, that played with Dio. And Rudy's brother Robert is playing on this album. So, they, I mean, there's there's some professionalism, but at the same time, there's no there's no chemistry between the players, mm-hmm. and and it shows. I mean, they're just a band playing. What they're told to play, it's it's very generic. I mean, it's not even progressive. That's the other thing that turned me off about it. It's not progressive. It's not It Didn't sound like Queensrych. I mean, you pick up the Queensrych album that came out shortly thereafter, and you can tell that is Queensrych. You can hear. Yeah, they
1: had a, they definitely had a renewed sense of who they were when that album came out. Um, they, it's a it's a really good album. I like all three albums that were released by Queen, Queen's after the breakup, and they're definitely worth tr- checking out. This one, on the other hand, to me, it's just a complete pass. Uh, I, it shocks me that I've listened to it as many times as I have, <laughs> as few times as I have. Um, the, <laughs> I kind of made a joke earlier when we were talking where I said there were four really pretty good tracks. And they were Jet City Woman, Silent Lucidity, Empire, and I Don't Believe in Love, which are re-recordings of of songs. <laughs> those were the those were the best songs in the album, and they're not as good of recordings as what appeared on the Queen's albums. album. Yeah, the, so.
0: the, the the emotion that are part of those songs, especially I Don't Believe in Love and and Jet City Woman and Silent Lucidity, they just it's gone, completely mm-hmm. missing. I mean There's a bitterness
1: there Oh for sure You can definitely catch
0: For sure It was just a very You know like the first song On the album Very cold (laughs) Versions (laughs) All right, So uh, Moving on past Queensryche I'm gonna go Back in time And I'm gonna Pick Aerosmith Now this one uh, Aerosmith's Rockin' a Hard Place album Came out in 1982 Not a bad album
1: I completely agree. I, I, there's definitely some tracks on here I really like, like Lightning Strikes. That's a fun one.
0: That's one of my favorite and Aerosmith songs.
1: Bitches Brew definitely feels like an Aerosmith song.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Cry me a river. I mean, that's a, it's it's not written by Aerosmith, but they did a, a pretty great version of
0: it. Yeah, very good version of it. The album. Okay, so the way I see it here, and and, and I and I was reading some of the reviews that it, uh, of the album when it came out. And then I began to realize part of the reason why this album failed. Okay. The album came out in 1982. Think about what was going on. Now, I know you weren't around, but I was. The MTV generation. So well,
1: they, I, I still study you right. know, history yeah, no, in that regard, and it, it's always interested me. So I, I'm well aware of, of the time period.
0: All right. So, so MTV's is finally in existence. So they have a video for Lightning Strikes, which was pretty cool. But the band, the album as a whole sounds exactly like a nineteen seventies Aerosmith album. While that's not a bad thing, when you think about it, it's an it's a nineteen eighty two album. So had that album come out five to seven years earlier, it probably would have gone platinum because it was an Aerosmith album. It sounds like Aerosmith. You said it yourself. There are songs in there that just, that's Aerosmith. But what ends up happening is, this is 1982. We're three years past their last album that they released in the 70s, which came out in 79. And essentially, it this is Aerosmith stuck in neutral, trying to hang on to their bag of coke while at the same time trying to remain relevant. They were just nose deep in cocaine. Even one of the songs on the album is Bolivian something i forgot what it's called
1: a ragamuffin yeah bolivian
0: ragamuffin ragamuffin. so you know you know what that's about so that's the reason why joe perry left the band i mean the two of them him and, and steven tyler just could not see eye to eye but a lot of it was because it was tainted from their drug use and it's it's uh it's a shame but at the same time those things happen luckily just a few years later they reunited as a whole and and have remained relevant all this time.
1: Yeah, and they've been they've been pretty much the same band throughout their entire career. Correct. Uh, with with a, with a few hiccups with here the and there,
0: exception but, of this album.
1: Yeah. Well, and also Night in the Ruts, that's when Joe Perry left the band. So Right. Yeah, Jimmy Crespo came in and and recorded one of the songs on that album, but uh, that that's part of what i don't like about this album is that joe perry's backing vocals aren't there you can tell jimmy crespo is a a good guitarist but he's not he doesn't have that same chemistry and that doesn't mean he wouldn't have over time you know built that chemistry because we've seen that with other bands where a member comes in and the first album's good but it's not it's not the best ever but he joe perry's the guy you know that belongs in in Aerosmith, of course. So that's that's kind of the downside, but it is a good album. It it, there's I don't really find a lot of fault in it. It's a it's a fun listen. I I, it's not one of those that I just think oh man this is the weird this this is the album that just kind of it's it fits with the catalog. I say keep it in.
0: Right. Exactly. It it definitely fits with the catalog unfortunately though the the band obviously because there were two players not in the band at the time don't recognize it anymore and that's a shame because there are like i said there are some good songs on there uh jailbait's another good song that's on that album you know so as much as we we need to keep it unfortunately the band doesn't re- doesn't like to think about it so much but it's still a good record and so yeah definitely going to keep that in the collection so what's your next sh- album
1: So why don't we talk about uh, Testament, Demonic.
0: Okay, let's do that.
1: So Testament, Demonic, I like the album. It's not my favorite, but I like it. And it's definitely better than the album that preceded it, which was low. But I can see why a lot of fans would be put off by it, because it's a death metal album. It's not the typical Testament album.
0: It's a weak death metal album. See, I... I don't like it as much as you do. To me, this was Testament trying to be, trying to live in two different worlds. They were trying to remain thrashy, and but they wanted to become deathy, and they didn't succeed on either front. And and unfortunately, just the album to me lacks lacks a focus. That if they knew that this was uh, this was a certain sound that they wanted to be, then you go for it. But they kind of like they still wanted to be who they were, which was a thrash metal band. And well,
1: it, I, I agree with you. I mean, it, I don't, like I said, I don't love it. I like it. I, I don't feel like it's a throwaway album. It has a couple pretty cool songs on it. I like John Doe. I like uh, demonic refusal, which is the first track of the album, which, which I tend to like the first tracks on albums a lot of times because they're, they've got that punch that they put them there for a reason to, to excite you about the album. But Overall, like I, I agree. It's not... It, there's nothing that really sticks out and grabs your attention. It sounds like a primer for some vocal techniques that B- Chuck Billy would integrate later. Obviously, in the new album with Night of the Witch, it's got some kind of death metal sounds to it, the growls. But um, I, I don't disagree with your assessment that it's a weak death metal album,
0: mm-hmm. which...
1: It's kind of crazy because Gene Hoagland is playing drums and he, I mean he's he's one hell of a death metal drummer and his performance is great
0: right exactly I mean it's, it's not because of him that it you know that it doesn't come across as deathy uh, I mean the first song that you were you were talking about probably has the most death metal sounding or, or most contemporary sound for the drums at the time for that kind of music it had a very snappy Piccolo snare sound to it, the amazing you know double bass drums that are on it, but then for some reason the the, the mixing slowly changed and the and the snare didn't necessarily sound the same throughout the rest of the album, which was kind of mm-hmm. weird to me. It's like if you're gonna come out with this sound, which is part of the death metal sound at the time, you need to stick with it. Yeah, be consistent. Exactly. And, and I think that was another thing. I was like, you know, I go to the second song, and I'm like, well, this already doesn't sound like the first song. There's a difference between changing keys and you know, going from you know, D to C or whatever it is you want to go for, but when you completely make it sound like there's a different drummer because the sound of the drums change, then there's you know that's where things are like, what are you doing? Um, and, and some of that might have to do with maybe the, the, that song or the first song was recorded in a different location. That has a lot to do with things And sometimes this has a lot to do with how the vibe Of the album ends up being There's no consistency because you're not Being consistent in one place That That's happened before too
1: Yeah, I tend to think That part of it was That this wasn't the same Exact lineup from the previous band I mean you had actually a pretty heavy Difference, you had Chuck Billy and Eric Peterson I believe are the only people that carried over Correct So it's a, and it's a pretty different style even like low was a different style from what they were doing before too so it almost felt like they were just trying to find their feet and unfortunately it's just it's not a great album it's it's an okay album it's got a few cool tracks on it but it doesn't stand out in the catalog
0: no and what's unfortunate is that I, I'm all for a, a good growl. I don't have a problem with with growling vocals, but even on the album itself, he he, he went back and forth, sort of, kind of what he does now. But now he t- does more of his regular vocals, and then uses the growl as an enhancement. Where on this one, he was growling the whole time, and almost you know, almost to some degree, like the way the uh, the new wave of American heavy metal and metalcore is where they use the clean vocals as an enhancement. And it doesn't work for Testament.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, because I like Chuck Billy's vocals later in Testament's career. I've really enjoyed this new album. What he did with uh, The Gathering was he took his old vocal style and mixed it with the death metal growls. And it was really a good album. I really enjoyed that. But this was, to me, this was the... the almost like the preparation to the next stage of what they were going to do. Uh, and that started with the gathering and went on through the rest of their career. So it's a little hiccup in the way, but I don't think it's a bad album. I think it's just an okay album.
0: Okay. That's how you feel about it. And I respect that. I'm not on the same plane as you, (laughs) (laughs) but that's cool, man. I, I, like I said, I don't think there's anything wrong. Uh, when we when we have different opinions, because that's this that's what the whole show is about. You have your opinion, I have mine,
1: <laughs> and some people have one in the middle.
0: That's right. So, <laughs> w- with that said, we're moving on to Deep Purple, and this one I think we're going to be very similar on our opinions. <laughs> this one, I think so. All right. Yeah. So this Deep Purple album is the album that John Lord doesn't recognize and well John Lord's no longer with us but at the time when he was alive he did not recognize this album this is Slaves and Masters it has Jolin Turner as the only appearance as the vocalist for Deep Purple this album came out I want to say it was 1990
1: 1990 yeah late 1990
0: yeah and uh it sounds to me not, not sound wise it sounds good Roger Glover is a great producer uh very consistent Uh, knows what he wants knows what he what he wants to do and and he gets that sound however what throws this album off is that you have three-fifths of rainbow the 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 classic or or not classic because the the ronnie james dio era is part of the classic the the era of rainbow that was most successful jolene turner roger glover richie blackmore
1: the commercial era, right? I would I would call it, yeah. Exactly,
0: and then at the same time, you have four fifths of classic Deep Purple, the Mark II Deep Purple. So it, there's there's a real fine line that, that Richie Blackmore is trying to play on both sides. He wrote some songs that are definitely Deep Purple songs, bluesy. I mean, it's record. It sounds like Deep Purple. And then there are songs on there. I mean, there's one song, I think the third song in the album, I can't remember the name of it right now, has a really heavy riff.
1: It was uh, Fire in the Basement.
0: Yes, Fire in the Basement. Real heavy riff. The song was probably one of the better songs in the album. However, the song suffers from a, a really weak chorus, in my opinion. I think that's what the whole album suffers from, just the choruses are not there. And it, there's not a lot of melody in the chorus. There's, there's good melodies in the in the the verses, but when it comes to the chorus, and some pre-choruses are okay, but then all of a sudden it hits the chorus, and like, what's the one song on there? It cuts, uh, this cuts deep or something like that?
1: Uh, the Cut Runs Deep.
0: The Cut Runs Deep. That song is a pretty decent song. Probably, to, in my opinion, the best song on the album, but The Cut Runs Deep is that chorus part of it is just a a letdown
1: (laughs) i I kind of felt that way kind of all through the songs so there was always something about each song that i was like this is cool and then it just went nowhere and that it just nothing ever really just stuck out and appealed to me uh and and exactly what you talked about with it being very rainbowy Mm-hmm. It just it, losing or or firing Ian Gillen, almost the band should have just quit right there at least for a little while until they reunited because it just comes off as I and I don't know what the rest of the band was thinking like this is a good idea let's let's combine Rainbow and black and and, and sorry not Black Sabbath but uh, <laughs> Deep Purple because well, it just it just comes off as as Rainbow
0: but, they were actually looking for. Jameson, the, the guy from Survivor, but Survivor, I believe, reunited uh, at that time, and he was unavailable. So Jolene Turner was just, I guess, sticking his nose in the right place at the right time for him, and he uh, he ended up with the gig. If you're going to go with someone you know, James you go Jameson with
1: Jameson in Deep Purple, kind of taking that same kind of role of David Coverdale almost.
0: Uh-huh, Yeah. Because
1: their vo- their voices aren't the same, but they're they're in the similar range, so I could see him him doing something like that.
0: Yeah. I I, I don't like Jolin Turner for Deep Purple. He didn't have that same fire in his vocals that Ian Gillen or David Coverdale has. You know, no, not so, at all. I mean, again, as a whole, the album just to me lacks from Four choruses, which I think if, if the songwriting or the arranging may have been a little bit better, um, but I think in this case they left it up to, you know, Richie, Richie brings in the riff and, and Joel Turner brings in the melody and that was, that's that's what it was. I mean, they were trying, I guess, to rekindle the old spark that they had in, in those three albums on Rainbow. It just didn't work. You know, and Joel and Joe Turner brought one of his own songs that he had brought in, uh, Too Much Is Not Enough, now, I mean, it just, that was so generic. It's like, come on. You know, the The other song that was on there was a song called Love Conquers All. So you, you've got 1990. You've got Deep Purple basically trying to stay relevant. And they come out with this song, Love Conquers All, so they can come out with a, 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 basically a love ballad. So they can maybe have a hit on the radio. So that they can maybe sell some more tickets and get some more chicks at the shows and it just it didn't work at all.
1: I just feel like that's a that's definitely a Richie Blackmore thing cuz he was always trying to do the same thing with Rainbow and try to get them to be more and more commercially accepted especially in the US and that just totally sounds like a Richie Blackmore thing.
0: Yeah, and and you know the ballad again 1990 so you know the grunge is starting to hit and there are some bands like Firehouse that were able to succeed with ballads. Cinderella succeeded with ballads. Poison was, was still still relevant with ballads on the radio. But this song just does not... Love Conquers All just does not cut it as, as a song that was going to be on the radio and, and sell a million copies. It just was not there. It's unfortunate, but that's, you know, again, like you said, Richie Blackmore just coming up short again. So... One of the things that we that I mentioned earlier, John Lord doesn't or didn't recognize this as a an official Deep Purple album. To the contrary, Joe and Turner thinks this is the best album in Deep Purple's catalog. You know,
1: uh, and of course he does, <laughs> and
0: he says he says, "Well, you can, you know, I can name every single song on the album. You know, what what other album can you say that for? Of course, Joe, because you were the one who wrote most of those songs." you know so of course you're going to remember every single song on the album so if you're not if you're not connected to an album you're probably not going to remember all the songs but he's connected so it was a, it was a, re- a weird comparison on his part he made the album so of course he thinks it's you know he's he's going to stand by it so he, of course he thinks it's great but unfortunately i mean uh,
1: there are but there are singers that are a little bit more humble and will say like ripper owens is not going to pick Demolition as his, his favorite Judas Priest album. He's just not because he's he's a fan of the band before, and he's it, it was more than just a self serving thing. True. So, it
0: was, I mean, Jolene Turner was one of our uh, highlights when it came to the uh, musicians living off their legacy. So, yeah, that just goes hand in hand with that. All right, so we come to Megadeth with Risk. Risk.
1: There's a couple albums I could pick in Megadeth, but I think this is the one that everybody knows. This is the one that everybody goes, ooh, <laughs> what is
0: this? Gives everybody an eye twitch?
1: <laughs> a little bit, yeah. I will say this. There are a couple songs on Risk that I actually like, and that's coming from a guy who likes heavier music. <laughs> what, what songs are those? <laughs> like Em is not Horrible. It's an it's an okay song. It's interesting. It has you know it has like a gladiator kind of feel to it. And the other one is "I'll Be There." I like "I'll Be There." It's it's a pretty good song. I think it gets missed by just about everyone because it's seven songs into a pretty bad album. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I I actually like that that song.
0: I was listening to it going to the supermarket earlier, right before dinner. Mm -hmm. And my assessment when I was listening to it, this was, and and you and I have spoken about Dave Mustaine uh, at length before, and I've, I've said this before, starting with Countdown from Extinction, Megadeth headed more and more into a heavy rock as opposed to heavy metal, hard rock direction with each progressing album. So there was countdown to extinction, there was euthanasia, there was cryptic writings, and then there was risk and they progressively got you know quote unquote slower quote unquote lighter there were some highlights in the on uh, each of those albums that were quick, that were thrashy, that were speedy but all of a sudden you get down to risk from 1992 f- f- when countdown came out all the way to 1990. Nine when Risk came out, and it just shows that Dave Mustaine was trying to, you know, what's the word? Um, navigate. He was, Dave Mustaine was trying to navigate through the waters of what was remaining of heavy metal thrash music at the time, but he he had left it behind after Euthanasia, and this album to me is just poorly executed. I mean, it sounds like a, a hard rock grunge industrial album, but it doesn't succeed in any of those areas.
1: Well, I will say that, like I said, there's a couple songs on there that I actually like. And say, for instance, it, here's, here's the thing. If you, you have a reputation as a, an artist in a certain field, and this, this is the same thing that happened to Bruce with Skunk Works. It, it's hard for anyone to accept them doing something different. So, him having the reputation and the band being called Megadeth, you know, it, when they release a, a, a hard rock album that's, that borders on the soft, um, it's, you ju- it's just not going to work. It, okay. Period. It's just not going to work.
0: Okay, but explain this to me. Mm-hmm. You have a band like Metallica, who, mm-hmm. who, who does, in 1988, releases And Justice For All, probably mm-hmm. their most progressive record up to that point. And then in 1991, they release the Black Album, which was a, mm-hmm. a huge departure. But mm-hmm. there are still some roots there of heavy metal. Mm-hmm. And then four years later, five years later, excuse me, they release Load. Now, Load okay. is, a, is not a heavy metal album. It's a hard rock slash grunge album, if you want to look at it that way. Yeah. But there's still... I mean, there's 13 songs or 14 songs on that album, and I would say seven of them are still excellent songs. That okay. that, that transcended that heavy metal vibe and went into the hard rock vibe, and, and but you know, so they picked up new fans, but they and they lost a lot of core fans, but they still kept a bunch of core fans. So why why did it fail so miserably for Megadeth?
1: That's I mean, it's again, it's it's a different album. It's a different time. It's a different. It's a different set of events. This is 1999, and that's four or five years difference than when they were doing material for, for load. So okay. it's just a different set of circumstances. I, I get um, that.
0: I get that. But but Metallica releases "I Disappear," one of the weakest songs in their catalog. I mean, it's not as bad as some of the stuff that's on Reload and, and Load, but you know, because it's got it's got a good hook to it. But that's that's to me is what it is. It's because it has a good hook, and that came out in ninety eight, I think, or ninety nine. So yeah. it it's on that same time period.
1: Yeah, I don't know anyone that likes I disappear. <laughs> I, you know what?
0: Again, so you, so you say you know you got a band like Megadeth, who has his name Megadeth, and they released a song as a song. You know, and the same thing we talked about with Motley Crue. Megadeth
1: w- is a heavier name than Metallica. It is. So but- it, when you have a okay think about the the imagery too of the metallica albums you you have you've changed the logo you know you 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 have this new logo that uh is is kind of a a departure from what they've been doing right Mm -hmm. they have imagery of uh what is semen and and Piss and blood, and they've kind of like you look at their imagery. They're 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 changing their vibe, but it was a gradual change because you have Injustice for All, and then you have the Black album, which is still even though it's softer and it's not a metal metal album, it's still a hard album. It's still loud. It's still punchy. And then they release Load and Reload, and you kind of know what you're getting. They've they've incorporated a sound that has drawn a lot more female audience. So they've, they've shifted their audience, and it's, it's a different band. I, it, I hate that Megadeth is always almost one-to-one compared to, to Metallica because they're not the same band. You know, He went in a different direction. This is not a hard – to me, it's not even a hard rock album. It's, it's kind of a hard rock album. This is almost like a, a complete departure, and should never have had the name Megadeth attached to it. Well, just Especially, like Motley Crue,
0: should not have it? had the name Motley Crue attached to it.
1: Oh yeah. So, but then you go from Risk to the World Needs a Hero, and and it's Megadeth again.
0: Exactly. You and know.
1: So, I, I. Why didn't this work out? Or this album work? Because it's not a good album. It just has a couple good songs on it. However, if this case, I, I just I want to contend that. In the in the minds of the public, if this album came out and it was not Megadeth per se, it was just some other band playing the same stuff. It's possible that it would have caught on a lot better than it did.
0: It, that that's a good possibility, but I think it becomes sort of like there are A level bands, there are B level bands, and then there are C level bands. Okay, and you've got the A the A level bands. You know, they're the ones doing arenas. They're the ones doing stadiums. They're the ones doing, you know, they're selling out, you know, their their winter tour. The B-level bands are the ones that are selling out theaters and and having a a decent tour. And then the C-level bands are the ones that that just can't get past the club. Okay? To me, this album, if you don't put Megadeth on it, you can't play more than the club. With this album,
1: well, I mean, you, you might be able lot. to progress. I mean, the, theoretically, by that extent too. If it, if if you don't put Megadeth album and it's and it's are on the album and and you call it that, how many bands started on their first album in a in an arena?
0: No, no. But what I'm saying is, it, it the the music quality itself is not is not of that of of that level. I'm not, I'm not saying if it's a band's first album. Let, let's say it's 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 a, it's just the, the quality of the music to me is not is not upper level okay and that's that's to that's why i make that comparison to metallica because as much as metallica changed because dave mustaine has always lived in the shadow of metallica megadeth has always lived in their shadow okay even though when they went at the height of megadeth's popularity there they cast their own shadow and and they were they were at the top of their mountain they those you know those two albums um Rust in Peace and Countdown for Extinction were amazing. And, and and you can't take anything away from Dave. But again, Countdown lives in the shadow of the Black Album from Metallica. And Dave's career has always been that way. And he's always tried, you know, Metallica has been this this one step ahead of Dave the entire time. That's always been my opinion. And it's it's... It might be because he, he still maintained, as much as the public didn't realize, he still maintained a relationship with Lars Ulrich. And they did talk, and, and, and Lars did give him advice whether it was good or bad. Okay. Well,
1: in this case, it was pretty bad.
0: <laughs> but again, as much as it was bad, the songs just don't stand stand up. Metallica for load and reload, the, at least the songs, I mean The Memory Remains, you know, Ain't My Bitch, Fuel. Those those are good songs. Whether they're yeah, not the between same. Between
1: the two albums, there's one good album yes, there. There's you know, and that's <laughs> fine.
0: But the bottom line is is there's really good music on there.
1: Well, I mean and but think about it. They they recorded all that music to to put on one album. They 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 had you know, I would say reload. To me, reload's weak. Re- we- reload, you-, you always put the albums together. You always say, you know, it's R- load and reload because mm-hmm. they are, they're a tag team. You mm-hmm. know? But if you just have reload, reload's a weak album because there's only a couple good songs on there. But as load is pretty good.
0: Yeah, but even even with that said, right, reload mm-hmm. would still be a good and probably a platinum selling album just on fuel and memory remains alone because those that's how good those two songs are
1: no that that's that's fair and, 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 it, but and i think more and, than that more than those two songs being good it's just the metallica name it's like why did saint anger sell so well when it's just garbage and, and because, that's that <laughs> yeah and
0: that's the metallica name carrying that's
1: the metallica name carrying i because i bought that album i went i went and, i hadn't heard a song on that album and i went and bought that album because it was metallica but and that's you know, but that's that's probably the same thing that people did with Risk, <laughs> where they they were like, oh, it's the next Megadeth album, and they put it in and thought, what the hell is this? Yeah, well, and it,
0: yeah, and it, it's I I mean I get that. I just I like I like Megadeth, and I've never you know I I've never, I mean especially now I mean they've gotten so much better again, but to me I think what the reason why they're so good now and the reason why they have had a good resurgence is I personally think they've gotten away from that shadow of Metallica. And Dave has finally decided to do what he does best, and that's just do what he does. Play very technical guitar, hire a really good guitar player to go along with him, and play good music. He has stepped away from that shadow. But until until in that really until Risk, he had lived under that shadow. But because Metallica went away for those years, and you know, and the world needs a hero, and the system has failed, all basically came out. You know, put it on out. Risk, the world needs a hero. System has failed. You know that came out right after Saint Anger. But that they, those three albums, just separated. I mean, and mind you, Risk is is a complete departure but when it came back to World Needs a Hero you know World Needs a Hero system of fail is, is, is Megadeth stepping away from the Metallica shadow
1: well I think here's here's part of it too was they had been competitive in a way you know like we talk about wrestling from time to time where you know when the WWF and the and the WCW were around they were always kind of pushing each other to, to go to the next level and I think that kind of competitiveness that was there in those early albums that once Metallica started straying away from what they were doing, that competition in a way was changed because it, it was almost a, a left turn, you know? Yeah, but, so, but
0: Dave took the same left turn. See, when he did Euthanasia, he's like, but it's
1: it, But it's not natural for him, and that's why it's good that he went back to his style with right. The World Needs a Hero. Because exactly. Metallica never really went back to the same... What they were doing before whereas dave went back to to thrash metal
0: right they metallica never went back but they they have they they were able to successfully combine all the elements that they've did in their in their past for these last two albums and they've gotten better you know this last album hardwired was was an excellent album had a lot of had a lot you know little things here and there that that pointed back into their history so they, I
1: like the album but I I wouldn't put it in the top you know for me I wouldn't put it in their top 4 albums but whereas I would I would probably put dystopia up there. I right, thought dystopia right. was fantastic.
0: No fan- dystopia is one of Dave's best albums. Yeah, and I agree with you. I'm not going to put hardwired in their in the top 4 mm-hmm. because you know the top 4 albums are are kind of hard to beat. But I'm going to put it I'll probably put it number 6. Behind behind the first five, I'll put that number six, uh, above load and reload, uh, definitely above Saint Anger, and above Death Magnetic, but it's not gonna it's not gonna go ahead of Kill 'Em All, Ride of Lightning, Master Puppets, Justice, or or, or the Black Album.
1: Where does it fall with Lulu?
0: It's it's, it's <laughs> really close. Lulu's really close. <laughs>
1: it's not right, a Metallica So. Album. <laughs> <laughs> so. You know, we talk about Megadeth, and and you can clearly tell that I that I I'm a huge Megadeth fan, and uh, I think you kind of have a little bit of a love hate relationship with them. It, but, it's uh, weird.
0: I, I, like I said, I don't hate Megadeth. I like the Dystopia album. I like. I mean, even Super Collider, which was, again was another attempt at them at Dave being commercial, even that at least was heavier than Risk.
1: <laughs> I don't think it was an attempt I think, see sometimes I think bands do this Where they 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 put out album after album And maybe certain aspects are just not working And I think that relationship with Chris Broderick and Sean Drover Was just kind of coming to the point where It wasn't as effective as it was when they first got together And so the there's a couple cool songs on Super Collider Like Kingmaker, I like uh, don't turn your back musically. I think the lyrics are just really childish. There's a couple other songs that I, I enjoy. Super glider the song I don't know. it's not a good song. <laughs> I
0: don't have a problem with that one either. <laughs> <laughs> See I can, I can be soft. I can I, I mean I like light music. I like well, so- hard regular hard rock.
1: Yeah, but, so I mean, so do I. I like a variety of music. I don't just like metal, but there are times where I just when I'm listening to a metal band play uh, some kind of disco, um, you know, rock song, where I'm just like, what?
0: What is this? <laughs> but I've always said it. For me, it's all about the hook. I have always said that when an album has hooks. Okay, no matter if it's hard rock, light rock, grunge, if it has hooks, it's going to be a good record. Okay, if it doesn't have that hook, it needs something else to make it better. And Risk doesn't have that. And that's why it's such a weak album. But Dystopia has that stuff. You yeah. know, uh, you know the world. Uh, the world needs a hero. Has a lot of that. That's a really good record. It's nice to see that two years later he was able to f- to, to find himself again. Because yeah,
1: absolutely. The, because the some bands get lost and you never, <laughs> they, they, you lose them forever.
0: Yeah. The the previous four years for for Megadeth was were tough. I mean, they were okay in '95. You know, with Euthanasia, it, it, it was okay, but it, it was on that downward trend.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's one of those things. Like we talked about, uh, we did an episode where we talked about where did a band lose you and did they get you back? But I mean, this this t- for me, especially at the time in the 1990s uh, or almost early 2000s, uh, this this lost me. And then I remember watching TV and I saw the commercial for a world needs a hero or the world needs a hero, and it had the the really crappy animated Vic. To, yeah Vic coming out of the guy's chest and it it was it got my attention and the riffs were cool and so i was like i think megadeth is back yeah <laughs> you know?
0: i mean that's a really good i i, I love that album i mean it yeah. to me one two three four five at least five songs are really really good on mm-hmm. an album so if you got five songs on an album that's that's pretty damn good. I mean, that's, to me, that's like most of one side, you know, on a record. So so speaking of Megadeth, that brings us to our big four, and we have our big four Megadeth songs this week. So since I started off last week, Chris, why don't you go ahead and start off this week?
1: All right, so uh, number four is uh, Angry Again. I, I, I'm a big fan of that song. It's one that kind of gets stuck in my head. And it, I don't get upset that it's stuck in my head. So uh, definitely angry again. Uh, number three, "Peace sells." Uh, it's just such a great song. It, <laughs> you know, it it's it's an iconic track. It's from early in their career. It's raw. It's it's got a great message, and I I just absolutely love that song.
0: I thought that would have been higher up your list.
1: Well. Uh, you know, listen to number two and three, <laughs> two and one. <laughs> oh, my bad, two two and one. <laughs> uh, that would be "Kill the King" at number two. I adore that song. It's such a cool riff. It's uh, <laughs> some for some reason songs about killing kings just tend to be great, as uh, we we discussed with Rainbow. <laughs> and uh, this one, this one is uh, not a disappointment. It's uh, it's one that I it. it if I have to figure it out, I have to kind of go based on the amount of times that I've listened to songs. And if I look at the track, if I can, if I look at how many times I've listened to the song, it's gotta be number two. And number one is Holy Wars. The punishment Due." Wow. What a song. It's, it's such a good message. It has such a cool vibe. The little bit of, uh, the middle Eastern tones in there. (laughs) <laughs> what a freaking great song.
0: That is an amazing song. I love that song, too.
1: It's 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 tough because I like so many Megadeth songs, but at, at the end of the day, that one is always number one in my head.
0: Picking the, the, these four songs were, was real tough for me because there are so many good Megadeth songs. I mean, it's like, like asking me to pick four Metallica songs. I have... Two that I guarantee are there, but after that, it's like mm-hmm, I don't know, you know. But Megadeth is the same way. I mean, it, there's they have so many good songs, mm-hmm. um, and even even the early ones, as you know, they were they sounded like crap, but there were some good songs. I mean, Mechanics and Killing Is Your Business; those are good songs. Did oh, they make, absolutely? Did they make my list? Let's find out. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So number four for me is 1,000 Times Goodbye, speaking of The World Needs a Hero album. I love that song. I love that song. It's got the melody up and down that song in between the verses and the chorus are awesome. I mean, that's, that's Dave Mustaine at the top of his game when it came to writing lyrics and melodies. I mean, it's a cool story when you talk about you know his girlfriend cheated on him and 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 the story that she tells and and basically this the chorus is his reaction back it's really cool um number 3 for me skin of my teeth from the countdown to extinction album what a way to start off the album basically That's a good one too yeah basically telling the story of of when your ass almost killed yourself <laughs> you know being reckless but that's that's been the story of David Stane's entire life. So yeah, love that song. I love that album. Countdowns Extension is right up there. It's like a one A with Rust and Peace for me in terms of albums. Number two, it's going to sound real familiar. Kill the King for me. Mm-hmm. I love that song. The drum beat, you know, on that song that just prevails through the whole song, and then it's it's recorded well, pro- produced well sounds great on a stereo. It's one of those that I share with the crowds outside. <laughs> <laughs> Love that song. And my number 1 song also sounds familiar. Holy Wars the Punishment Due. That is to me the, the pinnacle of Megadeth and their songs. That is It's an it's just song.
1: phenomenal songwriting. It really is. It it's, is <laughs> There there's nothing bad I can say about that song.
0: I mean to me Rust in Peace was their best album to me Megadeth's that's number one album and that was the the first song on that album and that's it was really
1: and, and you what think what a killer way to start it yeah. oh yeah
0: I mean when you think about the songs that are on there you know Tornado of Souls Five Magics uh, Hangar 18 which is a staple Take No Prisoners I love that song but Holy Wars just stands out far and above the rest so that is our show for this week Chris what do you got?
1: Be sure to tune in next week when we'll debate which band led by the metal god Rob Halford is better. Fight or Halford. We'll also be back again with more rusty metal and freshly forged recommendations. I'm Chris Kay. On behalf of Kenneth Dean, remember always turn it up to 11.